Hello fellow foodies, this is Dr. Cassandra Quave and you're listening to Foodie Pharmacology, the science podcast for the food curious. This week on the show, we're going to dive into some really cool work that's dedicated to the conservation of biocultural diversity. We're going to talk about education and outreach efforts and also some delicious teas that are coming to us from the Caribbean. Our guest today is Dr. Sonia Peters. She is the director of the Biocultural Education and Research Program in Barbados. And she's also the founding director of Heritage Teas Barbados. Dr. Peters is the former head of the Department of Chemistry at Barbados Community College. And she is the president-elect of the Society for Economic Botany. She's been organizing some pretty amazing initiatives in Barbados dedicated to recapturing the traditional biocultural heritage of the island and also sharing connections to this knowledge through the special line of heritage teas. I'm so happy to have her on the show today. It's great to see you, Sonia. Thanks so much for coming on. Great to be here, Cass. Great to see you as well. Yeah. So I thought maybe we could just start with some some of the basics. Yeah. Can you explain to us what is biocultural heritage? What is biocultural diversity? All of that I do really um, is centered around uh, the value of that interface between plants and people. And so I'm, I'm going to answer uh, with that focus. And uh, we know that there's that um, intertwining of um, survival and dependence on plants in myriad ways um, for housing, for clothing, um, for medicine, for dyes, for ritual, um, for spiritual nourishment. Um, so we are um, intertwined with plants and it's important that we understand that all we do, uh, which encompasses our cultural value, um, is linked to the availability of the plants around us. Um, a simple thing, um, such as sitting under um, a tree that offers a shade, um, you know, is part of our biocultural um, dependence. Uh, but we know that the very important part is that if we do not conserve the number of species that we have available, um, uh, I may make a short um, reference here to the degree of biodiversity we have in the Caribbean. Um, this is an area that there's a high rate of endemicity uh, with some areas having 50% uh, of their plant species isolated to their region. Uh, and that's amazing. Um, so across the Caribbean, we have uh, um, developed with such a range of plants available um, that we depend on them for most of the things that we do. And uh, my disappointment is that as we uh, move towards what we see as development, uh, we have been moving away from the importance of plants in our lives, other than seeing them as sources of food. And even then, um, we are forgetting our indigenous foods and are reaching out, um, being dependent on ships arriving to provide food for us. Um, and, and that disappoints me. And this is why I'm working to reconnect my public with the appreciation of the array of plants we have available 
not only in Barbados, um, we're located, we know, most easterly of the Caribbean archipelago. Um, unfortunately, we lost a lot of our um, range of plants as we were put into the sugarcane plantation culture. And because our island is small, and the terrain is easily maneuvered around. Uh, we lost, it is claimed, about 90% of our virgin plant cover. Um, that is distressing, but we do share um, a lot of our indigenous species with our Caribbean neighbors. Um, but it's, you know, disappointing to me that we have lost that connection, and part of it is because we lost our diversity. And I'm trying to reconnect our people with what diversity we have remaining and the heritage knowledge of how we use those plants. That's great. Well, I think that islands are such an incredible place to study resilience and yes. diversity. And I was wondering, maybe could you elaborate a bit more on what food systems are like for island nations in the Caribbean? Um, because, you know, your Barbados in particular is the easternmost um, island and roughly how much of the food is grown on the island versus how much has to be brought in? Yeah, great, great question again, Cass. Um, uh, as an island, uh, we know that um, the marine environment is also going to be um, a, a vital component of our sourcing um, food for nourishment. And though the, therefore, there's that great dependence on marine life fish. Uh, we are known as the land of the flying fish. Um, and it's part of our signature dish, which is called cuckoo and flying fish. Um, I hope that next time you're here, you'll be able to sample that dish. Um, but in addition to that, um, we use a lot of um, tubers, um, a lot of sweet potato and cassava. Um, and uh, we do import, as I made reference before, um, a significant percentage um, otherwise of our food resource. Um, and we are working to overcome that. I think that COVID-19 um, and the restrictions uh, proved really harsh even here. And when I say harsh, I, I mean in terms of the visualization of how our people um, were so dependent on the food that was brought into the island. Um, and we suffered from having the long lines of persons needing to get into a supermarket when um, in, in the previous history of our people, um, backyards were full of the food that we would need. Um, I even know my grandmother um, didn't have a lot of additional land, but what she did, um, she grew as much of her food um, as she could. Um, and this is something, again, that we've moved away from. We are accustomed, you know, growing pumpkins in our backyard. We are accustomed growing um, watermelon, um, spinach hanging over, you know, our trellises, um, bananas growing in the back of your yard, your planting, you know. So we, we were accustomed to doing that. And um, uh, unfortunately, it has become in vogue to go more the fast nutrition route um, instead of the route where you take time and pride in growing your own food, harvesting your own food, and celebrating um, a meal based on that tradition. 
That's great. Yeah, I, I think one of my favorite trees on the island are, of course, the, the luscious mangoes that can be found everywhere. And then also breadfruit as well. That's right. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. So we're accustomed. Yeah, that, that, that's what, you know, um, the history um, of us, especially as we moved away from uh, being considered, considered as a colonial outpost and becoming independent in 1966 where we removed most of those colonial trappings and then begun to do things for ourselves. And um, that's correct. We, we utilized um, the bounty that was there naturally provided for us. Um, but you know that we get uh, cultural penetration and, and that always impacts on the way that we do things and our cultural expression, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, and on this topic of COVID-19, it's yeah. drastically changed um, local economies across the globe, especially economies that are heavily dependent on tourism. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, in, in some cases, I've been reading about how more people are turning towards appreciating or re-valorizing re local culture. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if, if, if that's also happened in Barbados and what does yeah. that look like? Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a great um, observation. Um, I, I think you know that I, I, I sometimes make reference to COVID-19 as the unfortunate catalyst because, you know, it has forced us inward. Uh, we, we had to look inward and we had to look at how we can survive. You now we have to um, live with restrictions, uh, both in terms of how we do things and how we source things. Um, so, yes, um, at the governmental level, we are seeing a greater emphasis on um, reintroducing our local people to the special green spaces we have here. You know, whereas before um, the tourists in flux would have been targeted uh, in terms of advertising, you know, but we are seeing more of that uh, in terms of our green spaces being offered up to our local population. And it has been great because, you know, uh, people need, this is a time where you need respite. And uh, many persons are, uh, you know, sharing when they're in these green spaces before, you know, they would have been caught up in life and living otherwise. But now you're forced to have that downtime. You're forced to have that downtime with family. Um, and they're moving into our green spaces. We've got Andromeda Botanic Gardens, um, which is, uh, and you've been there, and you know beautiful, how beautiful that place Beautiful, beautiful place. Mm -hmm. Yes, and, and that, that is now, um, they're, they're looking at a new model. Uh, they're offering persons uh, time and space to come celebrate, you know, whatever family event you think you would like to celebrate. Um, so persons that are going in with their blankets and their baskets and just having a blast sitting under um, all of that lushness. Um, we've got Flower Forest um, Botanical Garden as well. Um, that is a more open and expanse space and a lot of local varieties. Um, and also they're offering persons to just come and, you know, share in what a green space can offer. Um, so yes, uh, COVID is forcing us to look inward. A um, lot of organizations that are looking at boosting agriculture, boosting entrepreneurship. Um, have become more visible, um, offering programs to young people, 
you know, to generate that enthusiasm into growing your own food again. Um, so it has indeed catalyzed for me what I see as um, a, a, an increase in greening activities and a boost to the general green movement on the island. That's great. Well, and I was so impressed when when you hosted the biennial symposium to celebrate biocultural heritage on the island. Mm-hmm. And I recall there were there were a good number of entrepreneurial small businesses yeah. starting to think about how to have island developed products. And That's right. can, can you tell us a bit about that program and and the kinds of activities that you all are engaged in with local entrepreneurs and the public? Yes. Um, actually, um, I was so happy to um, become a member of uh, a cooperative called Emerging Brands of Barbados. And the underlying philosophy here um, is again to embrace what's local and to demonstrate how um, really great branding towards our innovative ideas um, can really lead to a highly marketable product not only for local consumption, but for export. Um, So in Emerging Brands, um, of which Heritage Tees is a member, uh, we have here This is amazing and so (laughs) fragrant. (laughs) Really lovely. Yes. I'll I'll talk about Heritage Tees uh, separately, but we've got um, a number of young people with great ideas um, there is one, and, and the thing about emerging brands is that uh, they've made uh, an effort to embrace um, local culture also in the naming of products. So we've got this lovely line of um, pepper sauces um, that's called Old Duppy. <laughs> I have uh, some of it in my fridge. My husband loves this stuff. Now, what does duppy mean? What's the local translation of yes. duppy? A, a, a duppy in our tradition um, is a ghost. Yes, <laughs> it's it a, is. Very really, like visit you whether you want it to or not, and it could be a good spirit or not a good spirit. <laughs> this this hot sauce bottle, by the way, is about yay big, and I've had it since our trip to Barbados because all I can handle is like a little drop. Like it's I can take drop. a drop and mix it into the food, and that we're done. It's that's so powerful. It. That's um, it. But yeah, yeah. That's so that's great. old duppy, um, <clears throat> and then uh, we've got um, a, another um, company called. And this is an interesting one. Um, it's called Smiley Snow Cones. <laughs> um, Barbadians are known for their friendliness, <laughs> um, and that has been embraced in that product. So it, it's an ice-based product, but what is fascinating about them is that the um, syrups that they develop are based on local fruit. So they're using soursop to make the syrups, they're using mangoes, they're using uh, what we call our, our golden apples or green hard apples. It's not like a, a, the other, the red apple. This is a green cord mm-hmm. apple. Um, so they're drawing on tradition and heritage in their product, in their branding. Um, and that is what is exciting about emerging brands. And Heritage Teas became a member. And um, we really uh, wanted to similarly demonstrate that we can add value to our bioculture um, by producing this uh, line of teas under 
the underlying concept there are cooling teas. These are cooling teas uh, within our tradition that are taught to just put your body into a good state of health. Um, even if you want to have a good night's rest, um, using a tea based on sour soap um, is known to do that for you. Uh, if you want to boost the immune system, um, where you want to use something that has a lot of color, rich in anthocyanins, and or um, rosé ginger, which is based on sorrel, will do that for you. Uh, if you want to take what we call take away heat from the body in terms of um, the inflammatory response, then golden tea, which is based on turmeric and ginger, uh, that will do that for you. So we wanted to really offer um, a, an innovative package in our tradition in these teas. And as you mentioned earlier, we say that when you take a sip of one of our teas, you're really sipping on our tradition. Great. Yeah. And it's, it's fascinating to me, too, because, I, I mean, I know as you're listing these ingredients, my mind's immediately going to different natural products that we yes. know are found in these. And in addition to being an ethnobotanist, you're also a chemist. Yes. Can you tell us a bit about how your, your chemistry background has also played into this work? Yes. Um, you know, interestingly, my journey into ethnobotany came through my chemistry. Um, when after I had um, my, my children and I said, um, I always wanted to get into research, but I was into teaching. And um, I said, well, you know, I assessed the time and I thought I could get into research. And I remember my supervisor sort of left it up to me in terms of um, what I wanted to do. I know I wanted to do something in organic chemistry. And um, I knew that he was a natural product chemist. And so I went to him, but he left it up to me. And I remember um, wandering the hill uh, leading up to campus one day, and I found myself just looking in the roadside at the plants. <laughs> and I got immediately inspired because I've always been um, fascinated about discovery. And it came to me, well, you know, suppose you were able to discover something new from one of these plants that we just sort of ignore on the roadside. And indeed, that is what happened. Um, I selected a plant that is called horse nicker, and it actually has cultural heritage because uh, the pod produces a gray seed, uh, which is called the nicker seed. And this is used in the game that we call Wari, which is a game that is played in Africa. So oh. the game was actually brought over to the island. And um, I discovered um, about 13 uh, novel compounds in the class of furanodyterpenes. Mm -hmm. And what, yeah, and in the process of doing that, um, you know, whenever you begin to look uh, deeply into natural products, you butt up headlong into people. Yeah. It, it's unavoidable. And um, while I was doing my study, I was uh, referencing NapraLert, you know, and hearing about Norman Farnsworth and, um, and all of the scientists that he worked with. And I saw an ad for a conference in Chicago that he was going to be the speaker. And I said, I have to go there. And I applied and surprisingly got the leave because that's not easy to do um, in an academic institution at all times. 
And um, the exposure I got at that SCB meeting simply crystallized for me um, that I had to continue working. Um, chemistry, yes, but that plant-people relationship. And so when I, I do study my plants, I'm studying uh, both sides of that spectrum. I'm interested in the importance and value to people, and I'm interested in validating why and how people are using the plants. And where I am now, um, I have a list of um, 60 plants that we use during slavery um, for all the harsh conditions that we can imagine impacted on that population during that period. And I am doing two things. One is to, um, you know, document the phytochemistry um, of those plants. And secondly, uh, have a look at adding value in, in product development. Uh, so far, I've been able to demonstrate that um, some of these plants can um, impact on cancer. We've had a study on the, um, the impact of a particular plant on prostate cancer. And uh, we saw initially that it decreased the viability of the um, prostate cancer cell. And we were able to even identify the growth phase that it was impacting on. And um, we were bold and, and the, the results were so good um, that we applied for a patent for a fraction of the, um, the extract. And now we're doing um, preparative layer chromatography, um, HNMR, CNMR, to try to um, get to the molecule but I would like to say that um, I don't always believe in single entity interventions. Um, I'm also interested in polyfunctional extracts as well. Um, so I, I, I'm running that gambit and I find it most exciting to be able to um, capture the importance of the biocultural tradition and then use my chemistry for valorization. Oh, that's amazing. And so important to human health. So, I mean, it's important on the, uh, as you said, on the, on the aspect of, of yes. maintaining these heritages, um, right. but also getting to the scientific understanding of how these might have worked and, and how can they work in the future yeah. um, as potential therapies. Yeah, because I, I, I say that, um, you know, we, we call it tradition, um, but the, the populations that became confident in knowing how to use these plants um, did so by doing some of the same things that we would do in a traditional scientific method, mm -hmm. you know? So they, they found their material, um, they found how best to extract what they wanted from the material. Um, they did the experiments to see how they worked. They realized what works and what didn't work. And that is what they passed on. Um, so they were really doing um, scientific discovery way back. And I think now that we've got um, the better tools to probe, uh, I really do believe that um, it's our responsibility um, to really, you know, celebrate traditional knowledge um, and to take it further. That's great. And that's, that's so well said. I, I am, I 100% agree. 
people will often ask me, well, how did people discover that this plant is used this way or it's prepared this way and then used for this disease? It's exactly that. You don't have to be in a lab coat in a, in a room to do these experiments. Humans have experimented with nature for millennia yes. and passed down the things that work. You know, that's, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. It seems so simple, you know, but um, it really is true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I wanted to touch on some of your other activities. I know that in addition to um, supporting entrepreneurship um, around these products, you're also very involved in education um, through art and other outreach venues. Can you tell us a bit about that and kind of what have you found has been most impactful in working with different age groups as well? Yeah. Um, So, I mean, I've been in chemical education for a number of years. I'm willing to say how many, um, <laughs> um, but I'm I'm therefore leveraging my experience in um, in teaching and interfacing for transfer of knowledge. And uh, even when I was in the classroom, I always tried to be as creative as possible because it's important to make the transfer of knowledge enjoyable. Um, and, and not seen as a chore, not to be seen as a chore. Uh, so I have developed, <clears throat> pardon me, a number of modalities, I think, that will allow me to achieve that uh, within um, my target public for the nonprofit organization. Um, one of them, well, I'm proud about everything I do because I put my heart into everything. Yes. <laughs> um, so it's difficult to single anyone out. But we are currently developing a mobile herbal museum. Um, and uh, this is extremely special. Everything is good, um, but extremely special because I've decided to dedicate it um, to the memory of my son. Um, and in this mobile uh, museum, I'm, I'm taking this into the schools and our exhibits are going to be, um, as you would see in a standard museum, but they're going to be more interactive. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want students to see um, how um, a poultice would have been prepared. I want nice. them to see, yeah. <laughs> I want them to see um, what plants you would use to make a vapor rub. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I want them to understand also what a cooling tea is and how you can use organoleptic properties to pick up the medicinal value of teas, whether um, it's a woody aroma, whether uh, it's a bitter taste, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, so that they understand it was just it was not just making a tea. Um, But the the individuals who came up with these did understand um, that it was the content of the tea that was valuable. Um, We've also got, you know, what is the hallmark of um, a museum? Um, Lots of um, herbal specimen. Mm -hmm. And um, I I make reference to Hans Sloan, um, the the label naturalist who came to the Caribbean in the 1600s. He spent a lot of time in Jamaica. I think he actually was married in Jamaica. Um, I stand on the correction there, but I know that he and his wife and family were living in Jamaica, but he did come to Barbados as well as the other islands. And he has left his collection, um, his herbarium specimen collection to the uh, Museum of Natural History in London. And um, I was fortunate to get access to some of the 
imagery he's left behind. And it was fascinating. I did a, an annual lecture last year. It was fascinating to show my public um, that many of the species that he captured in his 1600s um, specimen, we actually have them. Um, wow. We are not, yeah, we, we, we are not aware of their value. You know, they're growing along our roadside, they're growing uh, around our garage, and we, we are not recognizing their value. Um, and I, I was happy that I could show them that. So I'm going to have those um, in our mobile museum again so that persons can see and make the reference. Um, also, we decided to do a number of series, um, again, capturing the essence of what is special about us. And as you mentioned, breadfruit is, um, has a lot of history within the Caribbean, um, um, mutiny on the bounty and um, how they made two efforts um, to get breadfruit here when it first came. Um, the enslaved Africans really did not want to incorporate it, um, but it has become um, an important staple in the Caribbean over time. And um, the series, I interview series, and again, I want to thank you for being my first um, participant. <laughs> um, under the breadfruit tree, I called it that because, again, I, I wanted to give some focus to um, mm -hmm. that heritage value. And mm -hmm. the value in those interviews was allowing my public uh, to interface with persons like yourself that are working within um, that same nexus of the value of plants to public health. Um, and then we're, um, we're doing so many things. So two others I'll talk about quickly. Um, the Farmer's Kitchen um, was targeting uh, knowledge about food security. And I thought that that one was timely, <clears throat> demonstrating how um, we can go into our backyard actually and harvest um, beautiful plants and then make a meal surrounding um, these plants. Um, uh, that was pretty exciting. We even had wines that were made um, from plants such as aloe wine and bay leaf wine, um, roasted breadfruit wine. Can you imagine that? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, the wine actually had the flavor of roasted breadfruit. Um, so again, it, it, it's all, you know, modalities that they can embrace our heritage, our culture, our biocultural tradition um, that would interest my public. And the last one, um, also exciting, we are um, going to publish in 2021 a coloring book uh, in which we celebrate the, the artistry, the beauty, um, the textural beauty within our fruit trees, the fruit, the foliage. Um, and we're actually going to have a couple copies that will be auctioned. We're going to have them um, specially embossed and um, again, adding value wherever we can. That's fantastic. I, I love all of these initiatives, Sonia. I mean, you've been so incredibly busy and effective in, in hitting these in different areas. And your description of, you know, of, of teaching people how to recognize and transform plants into um, products for their well-being is so powerful. I mean, I, I think that, you know, even I, as I learn new plants in, in different locations, 
there's something special about when you encounter a plant that you've learned about. Yeah. It's almost like running into an old friend, right? <laughs> You're like, hello. You know, I, I, I sometimes talk to plants. I don't even think about it. But it really, for me, it's like I'm running into an old friend yeah. that, that has some special power, some yeah. special attribute. And yeah. it's and it just makes you feel so much more intensely connected to your landscape. That's and right. as we teach children and adults yeah. to really value their surroundings, what you're doing, that the that's such a powerful message that you're spreading. Yes. So, um, yeah. Um, like I said, it, it's everything that I'm bringing to the fore. And um, it's been going remarkably well. Sometimes I, I stop and I wonder, um, you know, is there some kind of um, divine intervention that's just lining up things for me? Um, not everything in my life, but, um, you know, um, that's living. We have our high points and our low points. And um, I'm even more dedicated to explore those high points. That's yeah. great. Well, let's talk a bit about your other major endeavor that's taken a lot of your, your creative energy. And I want to go over heritage teas. And I love, I'm going to hold this up to the screen for those watching this on YouTube so you can see this beautiful label. And um, you sent me this lovely packet of, I've got Bay Cafe, which has bay leaf and soursop with notes yeah. of coffee and cinnamon. <laughs> and I love the golden tea. It's got uh, root powders with cayenne. And this has ginger and turmeric and these amazing warming um, flavors of the gingerbraceae family. Yeah. Can you Tell us how did you how did you start this path towards forming a company um, and, and going and, and pulling all this together? It's just really amazing. Um, I mean, it's a, for me. It's a, a, another um, tool. You know, um, I'm I'm really excited um, to see how it has developed. Um, and I tell you uh, what happened. Um, I opted to come out of my academic institution because I wanted um, to be a little closer to the people that I was targeting. You mm -hmm. know, I, I've been educating students for 30 plus years and I, I wanted my platform um, to reach other age groups. Um, and so my very first day, <laughs> I remember I said, you know what, um, I'm going to celebrate this transition by renting an office, no, no office space. <laughs> I rented an office and I said, it has to be an office with um, large windows that allows me to see the landscape. <laughs> and um, my very first meeting um, was with these two ladies. Um, Andrea Fleming and Jacqueline Cumberbatch. And they told me, you know, um, we've been following you on Facebook and we recognize that you've been doing um, a lot of tea sampling, which is what he was doing at that time. And they told me, well, we, we are also interested in teas and we would like, um, you know, just you to give us some advice. And as I spoke with them for about half an hour, it just clicked to me um, that here we have um, three capacities that we can bring together uh, because one of the individuals was um, a, a business um, executive, put it that way, and the other one was uh, working in social marketing, networking. 
And I said, um, you know, I can bring my um, chemistry expertise, uh, my interest in plant heritage, and we can come up with um, a really very valuable product. And to be quite honest with you, that day, um, Heritage Teas uh, um, was branded because we went to um, the Department of Intellectual Property and registered that very same day. Um, and then from there, we took a lot of time in formulating. You know, we would sit around um, our, our formulation table and we would try uh, different elements together. And so all of those formulations um, didn't happen totally naturally. We knew what we wanted to put them in. We knew what we wanted to put into the formulations, but the ratios and the actual overall um, mm -hmm. essence that we wanted came over time. And I'm extremely pleased um, with them, um, especially so we were recognized in um, our national culinary competition last year. And they were all awarded uh, gold and oh, wow. yeah, and then um, one of them, Rosé Ginger, was adjudged to be the best Bajan beverage submitted. Um, so it was testimony. Wow. Uh, yeah, thank you. And these were international judges, mm -hmm. uh, which makes it even more special in terms of, you know, their exposure. Um, so we were really very pleased um, in terms of what we had developed. Um, so we have a heritage product and it's a heritage product of great value. So that's, that's so fantastic, Sonia. Um, where, where can the listeners find out more about Heritage Teas? Okay. Um, we have a Facebook page, Heritage Teas Barbados. We have an IG account, um, Barbados Teas. And uh, we'll even be uh, sharing uh, more about Heritage Teas on our website, um, which is in development. And again, um, by a cultural education and research program, if you search for that, um, you'll get information on all of our platforms, um, including, our, including our tea production. Oh, fantastic. And um, I know that we're not going to be able to have the biennial symposium in person yes. this yes. year, but can you tell us um, about what, what you're planning for the next meeting? We're going to be doing it remotely? Yes. Um, still excited to be able to bring that to the public though online. Um, we have already a great lineup of persons under our three thematics, um, Future of Farming, um, biodiversity and the green economy, um, which references a point that you made earlier, and also plants as sources of healing. And um, we're even under that segment looking at um, as sources of healing as it, as it relates to spirituality, um, because we've got um, Dr. Anthony Richards, who um, very interestingly has been observing um, specific types of plants that are associated with the funeral ceremony. Um, and, and he's tracing that tradition back to Africa as well. Um, and I thought that it, it's good to look at the breadth of the discussion. And um, so we're going to have um, those three thematics. We've got about 
uh, between four and five speakers for each one. And then we're also going to have this exciting exhibitors hall, um, emerging brands that they spoke of. We're going to have um, a, a display where persons can go into their virtual rooms and find out all about their product, even if they're interested in purchasing product. Um, and then last of all, we're going to offer some live tours of some of those green spaces that I mentioned. We're going to have um, a live tour of Andromeda, um, the Forest Botanical Gardens. And we've got um, another um, area which, has, which gives fantastic views. It's mm -hmm. called Cocoa Hill. Um, we, we have to engage them, but we're hoping that they will be on board as well. So it's going to be um, quite an experience for persons who um, want to become part of our symposium. Well, that's wonderful. I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Sonia, for coming on the show. This has been so enlightening and so energizing. And <laughs> I, I just love all these examples you provided. And I hope that the listeners will stop to think about some of their own biocultural heritage in the areas where they live. And who knows if that weed along the side of the road by your house is actually something that's um, has a long history. And that's in the point. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's the point. We currently have um, what is considered a weed. It's considered a weed here, purslane, uh, which I know you know about. Mm -hmm. uh, it was even used um, by the enslaved um, for sore throat. Um, well documented. Um, and that's one of the ones we're looking at in terms of focusing on underutilized species. Mm -hmm. um, we had um, a beautiful session, not only looking at it, its medicinal value, it, it is in some, um, you know, domains considered a superfood because it has a lot of omega-3 um, fatty acid content, um, lots of vitamin A and C. Um, lots of interesting um, other natural products as well. And <clears throat> we've demonstrated how you can use it in preparing a beautiful soup, um, mm. how you can use it in preparing your breads as, as a herbal addition, and also how it can be used as a topping on your pizza. Oh. Uh, so, yeah. So it, it's um, for persons to, you know, we're not telling you to go and take things from your backyard you know nothing about. <laughs> yeah. Um, but have um, have a reconnection um, and and see what's there that you have ignored before, um, and uh, once you have some knowledge of how to use it, um, experiment, be a little innovative. That's great! Wow. Well, thank you, thank you so much, Sonia. It was great speaking with you. It always is, Cass. I'm so happy that they had the opportunity to share. Thanks. You've been listening to Foodie Pharmacology, the science podcast for the food curious, recorded via Skype during the COVID-19 isolation period. Be sure to go on to our YouTube channel, Teach Ethnobotany, and click that subscribe button. Also do the same at Apple Podcasts at the Foodie Pharmacology channel on Apple Podcasts. You can find all of our um, past episodes at foodiepharmacology.com as well. Thanks so much for listening. Stay healthy out there, and I'll see you next time.